eventually goes down. Big federal RICO case. He gets hit with the Kingpin Act. Never actually got caught with any drugs. Uh, and, of course, the evidence they used against him was just like a couple of people saying that he gave his brother some kilos who they ended up selling to him, right? Just that whole that whole loose string that the feds used to, to make the case stick, right? And uh, his brother was murdered in during during the, the the trial and the whole after he was arrested his brother was on the run because he was linked into the conspiracy right his brother gets murdered so his lawyer comes to him and said look just put all of the coke on your brother he's dead you know we can get some leniency out of this right and he goes i can't do that like i i, I stand by my word always and they gave him life plus 25 years. On today's episode, we have my good friend and fellow podcaster, Johnny Mitchell, back on the show to catch up with him since he was on our show back in April. Johnny is the host of the Connect with Johnny Mitchell and also an up-and-coming comedian. Make sure you check out his content and his stand-up clips. I have to say, he's very funny and his podcast is super insightful in the world of crime. This episode is brought to you by findagreatattorney.com. If you are injured anywhere in the country, visit findagreatattorney.com, a free service that can find you one of the best lawyers in your area. You focus on getting better and they'll do the rest. Exciting news, everyone. My studio is producing the Talking Trash podcast available on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube where you can watch the full episodes. The Talking Trash podcast features AJ Galante and Daniel Amesbury. AJ is a good friend of mine. I train at his boxing gym, Champs Boxing Club in Danbury, Connecticut, and he was a best guest on this podcast over the summer, and he was also featured in the Danbury Trashers Netflix documentary, Untold Crime and Penalties. If you're any kind of sports fan or you really just like hockey, you need to give this podcast a listen. They're talking anything from sports to reviewing fights, and they're going to have some really, really exciting guests on the show. So make sure you guys check that out, the Talking Trash podcast. And remember to leave us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And I hope you sit back, relax, and get ready to lock in with Johnny Mitchell. Johnny Mitchell, welcome back on the show today, Yes, sir. Man. Hey, buddy. <laughs> thanks for having me. You said that the last time. What? I, last time I said thanks for having me? No, you said like uh, we always used to rip you because you were like, thanks, Ian. <laughs> and then you were like, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the least I can do. I, You know, <laughs> I'm out here on the East Coast. I have to come see what you've built. And it's truly you're surpassing me now. I'm getting kind of nervous. <laughs> I walked in. I was like, wow, I'm a, I got to get my shit together. No, I mean you've you, got a you've got an empire up here. <laughs> you've had the better studio though since before I started. Yeah, but it's in a garage. Look oh, at you. You've that got, studio's in a garage. Yeah, really. Yeah, it looks legit. It is in my uh, my editor and produce executive producer's garage in the back of his house. Yeah, on a sketch. Yeah, oh, absolutely, dude. And we have women <laughs> down there, and the, and it's in South Central, so we have to be like, no, 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 it's cool. <laughs> Uh, Johnny, it feels like I've known you for like years now. Yeah. Cause we talk like every day. I talk to you all the time. Yeah. Since, uh, we met in April mm -hmm. back, uh, I shot you a cold email. That's right. And then you actually responded. Yeah. But since then you're almost at a million followers, subscribers yeah. on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You did Tom Segura's, uh, show. Yes. His podcast. Yes. How was that? It was great. It was great. That's, I mean, it almost felt like doing a TV show. It's so heavily produced that it was like kind of surreal, you know? So everybody does their, all the titans in the comedy podcasting space do it a little differently, right? Joe Rogan, very bare bones, which is people are surprised to know that, like, he actually has one of the most basic setups. It's just two mics like this. Um, they do a live switch, which most podcasts are edited, right? Multi-cameras. Uh, and, yeah, just not a lot of frills because he doesn't need it, right? He's He was the first one in the space. But now guys like Andrew Schultz, I mean, it's... It's like doing late night TV. It would be, you know, it's like a mini, uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon kind of production. So yeah, everybody does it a little differently, but the Skuras were great, you know. Uh, and I mean, Austin is just 
I mean, what a town, you know, <laughs> if I was 10 years younger and, uh, you know, uh, not in recovery, uh, I would live there, but yeah, no, it was great, man. It was great. Have you seen a, uh, like kind of an uptick of non prison creators inviting the prison content creators on their show? <clears throat> cause you, you kind of stand out cause you're a comedian. So, uh, you yeah. have that, um, aspect, but yeah. you're also, you've been to prison. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, th I don't think so. I don't think you see, yes, I definitely amongst, if you're viral, the big people will have you on, but no regular people still don't know how to talk to prison people. So I think uh, it's usually just not a good fit, right? Like you have to have some idea or interest in the space in order to invite a guest on and, and be able to talk about it uh, intelligibly, you know? Do you think you have the advantage because you're a podcaster yourself and you're able to speak um, fluently and yes. kind of tell your story in an entertaining way? Yeah, yeah. That was just the niche. I just got lucky. I was a guy that could articulate it but also really lived it. And as you said... Which you told me this. It was and it was gassed me up. You were like the connect. You guys professionalized street content essentially, and I think we did that. You know, because now it's like you see a lot of people who will not be named uh, using the guests that we use and using the the, the branding that we use. Uh, and I'm honored. You know, like that that was dope. Well, it lasted. Now everybody can gets to gets to go use it, right? So, uh, yeah, I definitely have an advantage. I mean, I follow in your footsteps too because I professionalized what I did and I got that idea from watching yours and yeah. we, we have similar guests on. Yeah, um, and you see the flow and now we're working together and like I put you onto this person and, you know, you bring me business and it's it's quite a remarkable time. Next podcast, right? Yeah. You have some pretty crazy guests. What do you think it's like the craziest uh, story you've heard on there or the craziest guest? I mean, the best guess, the craziest guess, the most inspiring story, the wildest story is unique, which I don't know why you haven't had him on here. Well, I know why, because he's very, very difficult to deal with. Uh, but, you know, unique, his, he goes, his name is Wayne Hall. He's Jamaican, but his street name is unique. Uh, and he was born in Kingston in the 60s in Jamaica, Kingston, like the west side of Kingston, the shanties. I mean, poverty, like you think you had a bad day. Like, these kids are running around. He didn't wear shoes. Shoes, Ian, until he was eight years old on a plane going to America. You know, he had goats in his backyard. Uh, he would make friends with them. And then guess what? It's on his plate for dinner. That's the kind of poverty he came from. So he lands in Brooklyn. And this is, you know, whatever, the early 70s. By the late 70s, he's 13 years old. And he's, you know, working Jamaican heroin dealing spots on Schenectady in Brooklyn, and he's making about $10,000 a week as a 13-year-old. I mean, it's mind-blowing, right? So he, but then, you know, the, the story is so wild. He becomes a junkie for a while, ends up doing, like, becoming a stick-up kid, they called him back then, robbing drug dealers up in Washington Heights and just wilding. Yeah, I mean, the Jamaicans are the most wild gangsters. Go, if anybody is, like, inter interested in, like, the history of street gangs, go look up the Rude Boy era of, like, the, the, the Shadas from the 70s and 80s, like the gang wars in New York. And this is the era that he came up in. So he does a bid, comes home in, like, 86, and what's happened now? Cracks exploding. So he gets off drugs, and he gets hit off with a pack, and, you know, just starts taking over crack spots in Harlem and makes the right connections, meets a, uh, his lawyer introduces him to a Colombian connect. Back then it was, the, the, the cartels supplying New York were obviously Pablo Escobar, the Medellin cartel, and then the Cali cartel. He had a, a, a direct line to Cali cartel cocaine. So he was getting bricks for like $6,000 a piece, a kilo and you know selling them for 8 to 10,000 and he was selling hundreds a day. So he's making whatever 3 to 5 million dollars a week, okay? And this is just a black guy from New York. Insane. And he wasn't even the biggest one. He was big though, real big. Uh and you know, he's throwing legendary parties. He knows all the old school rappers, right? It's just uh you can't even fathom that. He would walk into, you know, Midtown uh, luxury car dealerships with 50 grand in a shoebox. It just, and, and he would, if he was going out that night, if there was, if the club was going off that night, he would go buy a car to match the outfit he was going to wear just to go to the club. It was, it was that kind of 
Never will it be repeated in American history. So he eventually goes down. Big federal RICO case. He gets hit with the Kingpin Act. Never actually got caught with any drugs. Uh, and, of course, the evidence they used against him was just like a couple of people saying that he gave his brother some kilos who they ended up selling to him, right? Just that whole that whole loose string that the feds used to, to make the case stick, right? And uh, his brother was murdered in during during the, the the trial and the whole after he was arrested, his brother was on the run because he was linked into the conspiracy, right? His brother gets murdered. So his lawyer comes to him and said, "Look, just put all of the coke on your brother. He's dead. You know, we can get some leniency out of this, right? And he goes, "I can't do that. Like I, I, I stand by my word always. And they gave him life, plus 25 years. And he took it like a, you know, just on the chin. And he said, send me somewhere where I can get further my education. This is what he told the judge, sentencing him to life. And Because in his mind, he was like, yeah, I, I think I'm going to get out of here. They're putting so many people in prison for drugs. There's just no physical way America can sustain this. So he's a really incredibly, like, intelligent, uh, forward-looking guy. And so he said, Judge, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a promise to you. I'm going to, you know, get an education because he was illiterate. 31 years old, he goes into prison. He can't read or write, and he's worth tens of millions of dollars. So he goes into prison, and, you know, he does what? He's locked up for like 26 years. For his first 10 years, he's wilding, stabbing people, bringing dope in, you know what I mean, starting riots. Like, you know, he's a young guy, and he's, you know, incarcerated for life, right? And he's in Lewisburg. You know, he's just his first day, he sees a guy get fucking shanked at his neck and bleeds out right in front of him. It's, I mean, you can't blame the guy, right? He's just doing what he has to do to survive. But then he, you know, he starts behaving better and he gets all these degrees and, you know, gets, uh, you know, does anger management and parenting and gets his welding certificate and, you know, one thing after another, after another, after another. And then in 2018, <coughs> Trump, uh, I don't know if he didn't pass a law, but whatever you call it, he, uh, he rolled back the mandatory minimum sentencing for federal inmates, thus giving, you know, federal judges leniency if they want, right, on, on old cases. So a judge could look at your prison record and be like, okay, yeah, this is, you actually didn't deserve to do this much time. And they grant you what they call a compassionate release. So, yeah, he files a compassionate release and COVID had just hit. It's like April 2020. They just knocked on his door. He had no idea. And they were just like, roll up. You're going home. And and here he is doing YouTube, <laughs> when, making uh, YouTube content. As but old, it's wild, bro. And as an old school guy like him, what, what are his reactions when like white Johnny Mitchell comes and says, do you want to be on my YouTube channel? No, he loves it. I mean, I gave him really good promotion. You know, <laughs> I put him on kind of. But, you know, he he put us on. He gave us great, charismatic, like, heart-wrenching episodes i can't even really like i'm i'm choking up just you know telling his story because it's yeah it's it's inspirational because he's a, he's a good guy but you know he's born into horrendous circumstances and you've spent a lot of time with unique have you seen a lot of like effects of that 26 year prison sentence in a social environment yeah yeah i don't want to like i don't want to disparage him but there is there is something that guys that have done that much time and have seen that much violence and probably committed a lot of violence too. Uh, there's something that they can't ever shake off themselves. But I'll tell you the funny part I notice about guys of that era, they're all in like pushing 60. <laughs> These guys are fucking old and they're all partying like they're 25 because they've been locked up for over half their lives, dude. So they took us to a club in the Bronx. Shout out to Salsa Con Fuego. And uh, this is one of the clubs where you feel like you're going through TSA. I mean, they're just, no, it actually felt worse than TSA. It felt like you were going into the prison visiting room. They were like, I was opening my mouth, showing, you know, lifting up my tongue, showing my ass crack, but I was like, good. Because we were the only whitey, we were the only honkies in there. I was like, thank God they're patting people down. But, like, dude, we were partying in a club, and, like, it felt like 1987, you know? So it's it's funny that—and they get together. 
these these old school black guys that still live in Harlem or Jersey or, or the South Bronx, they're all getting out of prison now. And those that that survived, it's like a social, it's like a fraternity now. They get together and they talk about the old times, and it's you know. It's cute. <laughs> now, we have individuals on both your show and my show that talk about violence. Either they committed or they've mm. seen in prison. Yeah. How are they allowed to talk about that? Do you, do you know about that at all? Uh, I don't exactly. I don't exactly. I mean, yeah, because, well, if murders, there's no statute of limitations, right? So I don't know. I don't know. Unique, Unique never, uh, he never gave any specifics. So... I don't know. I think unless there's an active cold case, um, you know, I think you're probably fine. Um, yeah, I don't know, to be, to, to be quite honest with you. I think most of people just don't, most law, you know, most law enforcement doesn't give a shit. Unless they really want you, they're not going to go back and, and comb podcasts. And they just don't, you know what I mean? Prove too, like if you have a statement being made on that <clears throat> yeah, podcast. Yeah, and yeah. What's surprising, I learned just being in the justice system and then talking to lawyers and, and prosecutors, it's actually hard to, relatively hard to prosecute a murder. It's easy to arrest you and charge you with murder, but to actually convict you without having like really solid evidence is tricky. Especially nowadays, people don't fucking trust the system anymore, as they shouldn't. Do you think certain content creators lie about stories, like make it up, embellish it? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, comedians do that. Comedians are the biggest liars because we're so desperate for laughs, uh, we do, we'll say anything. And that's okay because it's in, I think the audience basically knows that, like, embellishment and hyperbole, uh, that's, it's, it's like a movie script. We all know that, like, Narcos, for instance, that's, what do they call it? dramatized for effect. That's what stand-up comics do, right? We say, yeah, the other day I was talking to my girlfriend. It wasn't the other day. It was last year when you wrote the joke, right? Like, you're always, you take liberties in order to make it more palatable for the consumer. So, yeah, I'm sure podcasters do that. Um, you know, when I wrote my novel, Days of the Trap, I did that. That's why I called it a novel, because I move things around. And, uh, you know, like, I don't remember you know, these quotes that I said 15 years ago, right? So even on the connect, we would, you know, piece things together and leave stuff out that didn't fit like a certain narrative in an episode, right? So yeah, I I mean, that some people lie, that's not good. But yeah, no, there's a big difference between uh, hype when you're doing what this is called entertainment and just straight up, you know, being a fraud. Because frauds get found out. Find a great attorney is a service revolutionizing the way injured parties find one of the best personal injury attorneys in their area. I've known the founder, Richard Hastings, for a long time, and I am impressed with his abilities as a lawyer and how much he really cares about his clients. Accidents can happen to anyone, leaving you not knowing what to do or where to turn. Most people don't know how to go about finding a top-rated lawyer. Findagreatattorney.com can connect you to one of the best lawyers in your area. Have peace of mind knowing you're in the hands of a lawyer that can help maximize the amount of money you can get for your case. Findagreatattorney.com relieves the aggravation of finding a highly regarded attorney for any type of accident case in any state. All you need to do is fill out their brief online form and then they can get to work finding you a highly rated lawyer in your area. The best part is, everyone, there's no cost for their service, and the lawyers they refer you to only get paid if they win your case. You don't have to come up with any money out of your own pocket to hire one of the best attorneys in your area. Make sure you guys check out findagreatattorney.com. They are highly recommended, and you do not want to take a chance and hire a lawyer that will not properly represent you. Visit findagreatattorney.com. Fill out their brief online form and let them do the rest. The strength of your lawyer might very well determine how much money you are able to get for your case. Let's get back into enjoying this episode with Johnny Mitchell. I help you run some of your social media and I look at your comments on some of like your old Connect clips and a lot mm -hmm. of people come after you thinking like you took what was in a Narcos movie or whatever and you just start telling stories about it. I mean, show me what movie there is, but you know, you actually live that life though too. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, I don't even, it's not even very remarkable. I mean, I suppose it's remarkable, but it's when you're really in it, 
and you look at stories about guys like Unique, you're like, oh, I was just a middle class, ordinary drug trafficker. Like, there's nothing that that's so special about my story. I guess what's interesting is that, like, I never had to sell drugs. I never, I never got fucking touch funny. Uh, my dad wasn't an alcoholic. My mother wasn't on heroin. Like, it was a good, you know, there was problems, but not really. It was a good life growing up in Portland, Oregon for Johnny Mitchell. Like, I could have been anything. I could have done anything. But this was the personality that just, I don't know where it comes from. It's this attitude. It's this anti-system attitude. which and, and mixed with, like, mixed with being in a very special time in history, which is, like, the bootlegging era of pot smugglers like me from the northwest that's so it was just an accident how it happened but yeah i don't i don't think it's too remarkable you know yeah well you're always a hustler and an entrepreneur that's true and that kind of carried over to what you do now why did you never why did you never get into drug dealing um i actually did i was a failed drug dealer i I sold pot in high school like in eighth grade um which for like a couple times like my friend would get weed from his dad and i would sell it but um you know, I thought about it when I had the club. Yeah. Because that would have been a gold mine. Totally. You could have just, you know, shuffled all of the drugs through the club. Yeah, but I was already under investigation by the FBI right. by the time I owned the club. Yeah. So I, I yeah. couldn't, they were raiding me for liquor too, Crazy. for underage drinking. Yeah. We were wow. selling nips for $5 a nip. And then when we got busted for that, we sold uh, jungle juice <laughs> in <laughs> the Gatorade bottles. Juice. Yeah, 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 buddy. yeah. So we did that. But I, I always think all the time, I'm like, dude, I would have made a fucking killing if I yeah, sold drugs. I know. Um, uh, but I also would still be in prison now, too. Probably. Because it would have been some crazy drugs like Molly or ecstasy yeah, or something. It wouldn't have been just weed. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's so much different now. Yeah, um, I know. It's sad. Now you you ended up becoming a a comedian, and since we've talked, your comedy career has has taken off a lot more than what it was back in April. Do you want to talk yeah, about that? And, yeah, and say yeah. where you're at. Yeah, so uh, I've you know I've been doing comedy for ten years. That's what I that's what I started in prison. Basically, I was doing these talent shows, and I, t- I talk about it on my show. And yeah, I've just been hustling and you know, doing comedy podcasts and featuring, doing these thankless, you know, uh, $500 weekends and just like, you know, it was, it's, it's been rough. It's hard. It's comedy is a hard racket. And so, yeah, but I, you know, the connect changed everything that introduced me, you know, to millions of people and the ones who like comedy are now starting to come out to shows and, you know, I was just down in Jersey last night and, you know, I had a bunch of fans in the audience and it's wild. Like I had a kid, like a paraplegic in a wheelchair. The guy can't even move his arms. He got in a motorcycle accident and he was sitting right up front with his mom, who's his caretaker. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go in on this guy. I was like, mom, do you mind if I shit on your son? And she was like, do it harder. And so I was just fucking just roasting this guy you know talk about his mom cleaning up his spittle you know it, it's like but it brought him so much joy because he's such a big fan of the connect yeah it was you know it was, that's what makes it that's what makes like the difficulties of stand-up worth it is when you see when you're killing and you see how happy people are just to like you know have a release uh yeah so that's that's been cool so yeah we're just gonna keep it going we're just the idea is to build up you know, the idea is to be make it as big as you can, you know, be selling out theaters eventually and then maybe arenas. Right. Uh, so that's, you know, we'll see it. We'll see where it goes. How often do you incorporate prison stories into comedy? I do. It's probably about 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes. But yeah, it's in a comedy club. I need to be touching all subjects. I do topical, a lot personal. You know, I'm very, very like I really bear my soul on stage. Um and yeah, so I can't do a full prison set. I want to do a special where I in prison where I just do prison material. I think that would be killer. But yeah, you can't do it to ordinary people because in a comedy club, it's kind of yeah, you kind of gotta yeah, you gotta keep their attention because they're drinking and they're in a bar. You can't make it too heady. That makes sense. What do you think is like the hardest thing about comedy when you're in that environment? all of the unknown elements, you know, so I got a table full of chatty, fat, 
white women over in the corner drinking Zinfandel, you know, they, and obviously they're not getting laid and, you know, so they won't shut the fuck up. And they're like, ah, he's so funny. And I'm like, yeah, just laugh. You don't have to, you know, so I have to deal with, I have to deal with them. And then I have to deal with the black guys crossing their arms who don't like me. And I'm like, okay, are they going to rush, rush the stage? There were no metal detectors here. Uh, and then, you know, so it's just like, and then I got to make, you know, I have, you know, there's so many, that's what makes it fun too. Cause when you're in the moment, you're doing crowd work, you're fucking, you know, playing off people, but yeah, it, just being funny for an hour is hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. You know who you remind me of a little bit now that you're sitting here and just like your height and stuff is Eric Canori, who was on your podcast. <laughs> and yeah. I had him on mine a few yeah, weeks I ago. Saw that. Yeah. I saw that. He, he's great. He's, I uh, love Eric. Um, he has a good outlook and it's kind of like similar to yours and stuff. Yeah. And he came here and he didn't know what to expect with me. And he didn't really want to tell the whole story like he did before. But I was asking him different stuff than what he was normally uh -huh. used to. Yeah. But you remind me a lot and, mm -hmm. and just how we met, too, because that was like a cold, uh, cold email, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Eric's Eric's uh, the pot dealer that I always wanted to be. <laughs> well, I mean, he was moving serious weight, too. Yeah. Yeah. He's older. So he was doing that thing where. He was the generation before mine when he was moving, you know, wholesale weight from Canada. That's back when this region was like it was Canadian bud. That was the good bud, right? And then guys like me started shipping packs from Humboldt County and Mendocino. And that's that's what put that market out of business, you know. But yeah, it was it's it's funny to, you know, reminisce, man. How did you become so knowledgeable about the cartel? And what's your fascination with it? Well, I don't know. Well, my fascination was just when I met them, when I was doing business with them, I was so interested in like, you know, like I'd be like in a hotel room in Garberville, which is this tiny little town in Northern California. All the industry is left. Logging has been there for 30 years. Yet in September and October, in any given year, you can't get a hotel room cost you $400 a night. That's because every drug trafficker from every region of the country is there picking up work, right? And I mean, like, serious weight. We're talking 50 pounds or more. Millions of dollars are changing hands behind closed doors in, like, a Motel 6 in these tiny little dumpy nothing forest towns, okay? And so I'd be fucking sitting in front of these guys who are just, like, young kids, and, you know, a couple of them are like, they look like farmers almost, right? These are like, you know, guy. And I'd just be like, where, where do you come from? Who do you work for? I didn't know who they were working for at the time, right? So the guy who introduced me to them said they were with the Sinaloa cartel. And, but as I'm like, as I'm on a bed that we're watching like Shark Week or whatever the fuck on the TV, I'm like, these are just goofy kids just like me. What, what's the story? Who are you? How does this structure really work? Are you sending the money back to Mexico? Uh, are you, do you own this big pot garden that you have somewhere, you know, 30 miles into the forest? So after I got locked up, that's when I started to, like, meet a lot of these cats who were locked up, right? A lot of these Mexican cats. And I speak Spanish. And I've always been interested in Latin America. I lived in Argentina. I lived in Colombia. Um lived in places in South America, but, you know, traveled back and forth and shit. So yeah, I just started to like read about it and learn about it and pay attention to it. And yeah, it's just always fascinated me. Certainly just, just the way it fascinates a lot of Americans. And so that's why with the connect, I'm really, when we go down to Mexico, we, we, we ask like, what actually is the cartel? How does it actually operate? And it's uh, it's nothing like what people think. They get it all wrong. You hate Ozark. Yeah, Ozark's a fucking gay show. And Starbucks. Yeah, Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, how you, did you know that? You told me on that was those two lines went viral in our last oh, episode. Oh yeah, you yeah, said, yeah. I yeah. fucking hate Starbucks. It, it's I a hate rip -off. it. You fucking <laughs> you fucking gross suburban classless pigs. You fucking soulless. Ugh, my girlfriend loves a suburban cul-de-sac Starbucks. Ugh. Well, I took you to Dunkin' that time, and you were like, Duncan's "I just, fire. I just want a coffee, just a plain coffee." Yeah, just give me a coffee. <laughs> Fuck the bullshit. Don't give me a frappuccino. <laughs> uh, and then the Ozark one, 
America loves Ozark, though, because of the cartel and, and how it's portrayed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I, that's what what is it? It's it's a family who's laundering money through casinos. No, I watched the f t season and a half. The first season was very good. He was an accountant. Uh, right, yeah, right. And so, and so, um, and, and they're laundering money for the cartels. I get it. So, uh, I, I'm not sure if that's true, but I, I don't really know. But I'll tell you what Americans, Americans think the cartels operate like Fortune 500 companies. It's, it's not true. It's not true. But they are violent. Yeah, they're violent, but they don't. Uh, that goes without saying. What does that have to do with operating like a Fortune 500 company? Well, no, I'm saying like when you, the, the, is the 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 violence portrayed in Ozark an accurate depiction of what happens? Cause no, we, not on this side of the border. But we heard that article or the news story a couple mm -hmm. months ago where those four people drove across <clears throat> and they they got that was on the Mexican side though. Okay, so if they all the violence that. they're doing in the show or most of it is on this side, the cartel members do when they're in the. Our great country, when they're in these four walls, dude, they behave. No one's getting executed in the not U.S. Not really, like not really. It used to happen. Um, you know, sometimes there's like in California, there'll be like gruesome murders and they'll say they're cartel linked. But like, I guarantee you when there's like a, a hit in a place like Bakersfield, it's Mexicans, Americans, it's Chicanos who've grown up there. Right. And they always get caught. <laughs> if there's a usually the cartel maybe would like kidnap somebody and drive them back to Mexico and bury them there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But cartels are very, very logical. They know you can't get away with that in America. So we we give our drugs to Americans, right? There's no cartel members selling drugs, especially now. Things have changed, right? There used to be that Colombians and Mexicans would send their own people into American cities and, you know, sell drugs and that legitimately for them, sell drugs directly for them and send them the money directly back. It doesn't work that way anymore. They give them to street gangs that are Americans. They just sell wholesale and then retreat back to, to Mexico. And it's it's just, it's fascinating. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's, and that's what I've just been unveiling as we've been down there and learning about it. It's just really, it's really interesting, man. Do you ever have non-drug stories on your podcast? Yeah, of course. We had... Um, yeah, I mean, we have a, some corrections officers coming on. We've had, yeah, we've had a corrections officer on before. We had a, a guy who who worked with the Detroit mafia family. We had, um, God, we've had so many people now. You ever have like a fraud guy or anything like that? No, I don't like fraud. So I'm your first fraud guy. Going oh yeah, on the I show? guess you're fraud. I guess you're <laughs> fraud. I don't like credit card fraud. What's your objection to credit card fraud? I think it rips people off. The credit card company or the individual? The individual. Okay. Because it's it's tough to get that, even though, yes, yeah, technically you're ripping the credit card company off too, which is good, but you that person will have a real hard time like repairing their credit. So yeah. I don't like theft. I like business. I like business. I like I like honest, illegal business. So you drug know? drug dealing. Drug dealing. I love sports gambling. Mm -hmm. We had Chicky on the pod, you know, to tell us what, like, the old school, like, mafia sports book, how that operated. What do you think of a guy like Chicky? Because he does get a lot of hate from viewers and comments. Why? Saying he's, like, a phony or, they, or he's not a real made guy? Exactly. But he doesn't claim to be a made guy. Yeah. Like, I can tell a guy, I can tell the guy's legit when they downplay everything. When they, and they never answer a question directly. <laughs> this is how I know Chicky really was in the mafia. Because I would ask him a direct question about, please just answer this for the clip. And he would tell me a story about a story before getting back to not answering the question. It's like allegedly. Exactly. And allegedly. Exactly. He couldn't just, I'm like, and they don't understand. Like, I just need you to just answer it like I'm your lawyer. Okay. Just say yes or no. But you know, people appreciate his honesty with that on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, yes, that's true. That's true too. That he's like that and he's humble about it. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. That's how I, so it, it doesn't matter. The guy hates good. Did he, he just hates good for the business. Did you watch the new Gotti doc? No, I didn't. Oh, you got to watch that. Are you into mob stuff at all? Or yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, no, I'm into mob stuff. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I guess I guess now it's getting a little, the mob stuff's like, it makes me sad. It makes me sad because it's a bygone era. It's a bygone era and, and it's proof that like, that the government won, you know? Maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing. You know, Italian immigrants are no longer in the mafia. They've 
integrated into society. Their their kin, their spawn, their children are now lawyers and legitimate people. You know, for the most part. So uh, I guess it I guess it had to go away, right? It was a natural progression. But yeah, it kind of just you know it kind of makes me sad. Drug dealing too, right? Like it used to be such a simple time before fentanyl. You know, coke, heroin, weed, so clean. So clean. Now there's all this goofy shit. Weed is half legal, right? Yeah, it's just, uh, it was better when it was a smuggler's sport. Well, they need to federalize weed, too. It's kind of crazy that state by state. I know, I know. But now, you know, the cartels are like, uh, well, first of all, they're selling, they're still finding a market for illegal weed somehow. Like, you see drug busts at the border. Like, guy got caught with, like, you know, <clears throat> a ton of weed coming into the u.s like where is he selling that well, people obviously, want to buy cheaper obviously he has a buyer somewhere right yeah. also now you know what these dominican cats are doing over here in new york they're shipping their pounds wholesale to the dominican republic so uh, so america is now becoming an exporter of weed i talked to a grower in los angeles you know where he's sending his pounds now and getting a nice little markup thailand so it's it's very strange it's very strange. America's becoming like, you know, the the manufacturer for the rest of the world. Yeah, but it's like when people pay cash at certain things to avoid sales tax, they're going to want to mm. keep paying cash for weed and whatnot. That'll never go away. Sure. Because you go, there's two dispensaries in Danbury. Mm -hmm. You're paying double than what you would for a off-the-street dealer. Yeah, I just, yeah, I suppose that's true. You know, and they're selling drugs on the internet, right? Like, you know, this, these... These uppers that I took that I told you off the podcast, I've been up for two days off these fucking pills, you know, uh, you get them off the Internet. You go on Reddit and you say you have them. And you, my guy was like, yeah, I sell like a thousand five minutes. So I want to ask you about the Internet for a second. Have you ever done a deep dive and gone down the rabbit hole, rabbit hole of the Silk Road guy? Uh, no, I know his story, though. What do you think about that? All that. And do you think he still should be serving life in prison? So he threatened to kill a federal agent, right? Didn't yeah. he? It was a death threat. That was the big thing, right? That they like attempted or he did the payoff or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, look, I I never believe in giving anybody life in prison that doesn't really, really deserve it. Like somebody who will, if you will let him out, he'll go kill that day. If he's not going to do that, yeah, everybody should be, you know, most people should be allowed out at a certain point. So I don't really know the case, but yeah, I mean, the guy's ahead of his time for sure. He's like he some brainiac. Yeah. yeah. Some fucking, you know, goofball from San Francisco, like a tech nerd. <laughs> he, he was 10 years ahead of his time. Yeah. And, but he's at a penitentiary too. <laughs> like a USP? Yeah. He's at a USP because you he think he's gangbanging like, and shit. I don't know. Probably has to. He's, he looks like, a scrawny white mm -hmm. little dude. But, yeah. And imagine when he first went into prison. That's yeah. like SBF who just got convicted too. Who's that? Sam Bankman oh, Freed. Right. Dude, he's he's not gonna But they're not gonna well. send him to a penitentiary though. If he There's gets no life, way. they they probably will before he goes down to a medium. Oh right. Yeah. Because yeah. it's the feds. Yeah. I mean he's facing a lot of time, a billion dollars. Yeah. You know, they gave Elizabeth Holmes what fifteen years. Mm -hmm. So this is yeah. this is more money at stake. Yeah, God, they really are are fucking. Well, here's the thing: they're they're piecemealing who they fuck about financial crimes. Yeah, you know. Well, it also depends on if you fight them, if you cooperate. Yeah, there's a whole right. big difference. Right, right, yeah. But you know, that was my takeaway after watching the Gotti doc that Sammy the Bull, yeah. who literally committed murders, nineteen murders at, at least, cooperated, mm -hmm. and now he's a whole channel. Only in America can yeah. you be on YouTube after committing 19 murders. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Columbia, dude. You know what Popeye? No. You know about Popeye? No, it's Popeye. Fucking, he was Pablo's, like, main hitman. Uh -huh. And, bro, 19 murders. He did that in, like, an afternoon. He did that before dinner. This guy has so many bodies on him. And he got out. And he's huge on YouTube. Is he really? Huge. I'm so fucking jealous of the numbers. Are yeah, I'm trying to. On? I think so. We're going down to Colombia in a couple months. So uh, they might have demonetized him when because he got on like some big, I think he was on like a Netflix documentary. And I think maybe they got enough, you know, uh, complaints in YouTube where they're finally like, okay, we got to take this guy's money away. But yeah, it's it's pretty wild. When you bring on some of these individuals that have like sketchy pasts or backgrounds or stories, mm -hmm. are you, I guess you would call it cancel proof as the interviewer, like by giving them a platform? Oh, uh, what do you mean? So like, do you ever feel like there could be ramifications? Like say you bring on someone that was a 
murder or anything yeah. that that could be gray. No, I not I don't worry about that. I worry about just the integrity of the podcast. Like I try to not have people on that I know are lying to me about their story. So that that's a thing to 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 answer your question from earlier about people lying on their platforms. I get people I've had people lie to me on connect episodes when I'm interviewing them where I've had to look at my producer. Like we both know like throughout the two days of, of filming with them, we're like, yeah, this guy has got a fucking, uh, tenuous relationship with the truth. Like he's, he's telling us like 10% truth. So what do you say to them? You know what I mean? Like, you, well, I'm already in the moment. So I, I kind of have to bullshit them, but I don't like them. Like I take it personal. You know what I mean? Um, and then we cut around a lot of that too. Like we'll cut out a lot of the bullshit and then I in studio will be like, this is the story and here's how they actually relate to it, you know? Um, so yeah, we've got in trouble a couple of times. One of the guys uh, down in, I don't want to give up too much, too much tea, but he, we filmed with him in Miami and uh, his family didn't like it. And so they, they caught him outside of his business and they like beat his ass. After watching my episode, yeah. Do you take the episode down or it's still? Fuck no. <laughs> they threatened to sue me. I was like, come at me, bro. Wait, what are they going to say? Like once you, what, yeah. Exactly. I didn't, you know, we didn't, we're just narrating a story to which we thought was, was true. And I think it was, I think a lot of it was true. His family just didn't like, you know, the exposure. You know, I see a lot of guys that come on my show. They, they want the exposure in the moment. And mm. then afterwards they're, they like. They think like, oh, can you take my name down? Can you change yeah, this? They yeah, want to do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And half of YouTube is coming up with the catchy yeah, titling yeah, and yeah. The, whether that's what the whole episode's yeah, entirely exactly. about. Exactly. Like, I have to exploit you. I'm sorry. You know, I'm exploiting you and making you look like a monster. And that's just what it is. You know, I told Andrew Schultz that when I was on Flagrant. I was like, at the end, as I was getting ready to leave, I'm like, oh, yeah you know, use whatever you want in the title, just exploit it. He was like, oh, and we will. <laughs> That's what I said to Mark. Mark texted yeah. me and he's like, do you feel bad if I call you a con man? I'm like, no, I know how the yeah. game works. You know the game. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so I try to vet people now a little bit, you know, I, you know, the best way to vet people who want to be on your show say, email me that simple. Just email me with the details. They never email. I'm like, oh, this guy ain't about it. I called his bluff. I have people fill out a form on my website, and that goes into an Excel sheet. Jesus Christ, you're a <laughs> fucking robot, dude. It goes into you're an a Excel fucking, sheet. You're a middle manager. I got to show articles. I got to show <laughs> social media. The whole, the whole shebang. Oh God, you really have your fucking. You are thorough, dude. If only I, I was this thorough when I was running the nightclub, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, but I mean, you were just a boy then. I can't believe you, Ian Big. You really are something else. I just, I just go off instinct i just go off feeling but that's why i do my podcast in the garage and you do it you know so what was your instinct about me then when you met me no i didn't i wasn't enthusiastic about me i wasn't enthusiastic not about you just about like the whole operation you bamboozled me by the way you go you go i'm in new york hyde park and i go i fall you didn't look it like, up and i was like i know new york city pretty well where the fuck is hyde park okay man it's probably on like the upper east side or something and then I look at the map and I'm like halfway, halfway to Canada. And I was so, but you seem like such a nice guy. I was like, ah, uh, I just I hate. picked you up. And you bought, I'd already bought my plane ticket. So I was like, you God didn't damn use. it. No, fuck no. Fuck no. And, I, and you put me up in a, in a, and you had the gall. You had, why didn't you just send me to a migrant camp? You had the fucking balls to put Johnny Mitchell at the height of his power up in an airport holiday inn. Why didn't you just say, hey, I got a bed for you at Rikers? That would have been more respectful. Johnny, because you did, at the time when I booked that, you did not say you, were you wanted to stay in the city. It was fly in, fly out to do my show. Yeah, I don't fly in and fly out. I'm six foot six and I don't like flying. If I'm coming to the East Coast, I'm staying for a few days. But it was okay because I had I ended up having shit to do out here. So it was it was fine. I was gonna be here anyways. So no, I was stuck with you for hours in the Yeah, car. so it was happy to do that. And then just some guy some J, some white nationalist. <laughs> it's like April, it's like fifty degrees, he's in a tank top. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, I gotta start saying no. You thought I was kidnapping you. Yeah, I was crazy. But uh, you know, no, it was it was no, I was very glad I did it. I love cause I love networking. I I can't shut up. So it's like I see I see the hustler hustle hustle recognize hustle, you know? So no, it was good. 
You have a lot of um, people that are just starting out that hit you up to go on their show to get interviewed? Because I don't see you do too many, like, non-big platforms or anything like that. Oh, to have me? Yeah, The people guest. hit me up to have, uh, yeah, yeah, not that, yeah, it's a good question, actually. Not so many. Not so many. And I think it's because I usually just don't do other podcast now um unless it is gonna just bring me more exposure just be you know and that sounds kind of callous and it is but i you know i did every podcast for years and it's just like i don't have time now yeah. i don't i can make more attraction just doing good content myself that's the beauty of it yeah that's the beauty of it like i got a good kick from flagrant i got a decent kick from your mom's house but you know just the, the connect we put ourselves on so that's the thing I'm most proud of is that I didn't, you know, once I did that, I didn't need anybody else. And look, that's when they started reaching out. That's right? what I like about my thing, too. No one put me on. Yeah. I went and built that myself. Yeah, exactly. So that's I mean, that is. And first of all, you're an anomaly. We're anomalies, but also like, uh, you know. We have the power, we have the power. And it's like, you know, when you don't need it, that's when all is given. And but you know what's unique about these situations is that you have a very different following that they have never had before. Mm -hmm. A lot of our followers are a certain demographic that wouldn't normally watch a podcast. Mm -hmm. This is a very, it's 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 so different. Yeah, which is yeah. why you know advertisers look at it differently, and and yeah. other hosts of shows. I mean, you were on two of the biggest podcasts for comedy in America, yeah. and, and a couple months apart. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. What's like your dream podcast to get on? Oh man, I guess Rogan. I guess Rogan. I, I not that I think it'll do much for me, because um, I don't think you know. And, and this is no knock on Rogan. The show is bigger than ever, but as a mechanism to launch comedians, it, it really is not very significant anymore. Did you know that? No, I didn't, dude. If you got on a, a Rogan episode as a comedian in 2018, 2019, or an author, right? But just take my business, comedy. You got on there once and you killed it one time. Change your life. Like you would be selling out comedy clubs all over the country for the next six months. It was a kingmaker, right? Now that's not the case. You know, he's got he's on Spotify. He's uh, become bigger than comedy. He's you know like a national voice. And three episodes a week, you just kind of get lost in the sauce a little bit. So, but I, I I love the guy and I look up to the guy. So I would love to, I've, you know, I've hung out with him in Austin. He, he doesn't, he would know my name, but like we've talked in green rooms and shit. And I'm yeah, I would love to do it. What about playing at his show, at his uh, new comedy club? Oh too? yeah. Come on, dude. Forget about it. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd yeah. love to. So yeah, you know, it might happen, but we'll just keep, uh, you know, like we're pitching Netflix something right now and it's like it could happen but it's it's inconsequential because as long as you know we have the hustle and we have the vision and the balls because it does take balls and it takes faith faith you know because we put out a lot of money to make this shit happen we can do it ourselves and uh it'll work out there's a lot of uh pop-up comedians going on netflix specials now too like people i've never even heard of yeah yeah they mostly suck how do they get on that? Like that that's a big platform to get on. Yeah, but you know, but even the even then the biggest comedy pops now, like that are breaking people, like making people into big draws, big names is YouTube. Like a special on YouTube will will do way more for you than a Netflix special usually. And isn't that what well, that was Andrew Schultz's <laughs> whole thing too? Yes. How he broke yes. out on YouTube. Exactly. And exactly. I mean, his special that he dropped, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, it's fucking fire. It looks like a Netflix special. And he put it on YouTube and he got, you know, it's probably up to like 15 million views. There's no way. Plus all the money he made in like pre ordering it. So he couldn't do that on Netflix. I don't think. Um, yeah, probably just probably not. But you never know because they don't show you the numbers. So it's even more like, why do you want to do business with somebody like that? You know, I would do it because it's it, my position right now. That would be a stripe. That would be a level up. But for somebody that's already got a big fan base and wants to, like, just, you know, go to the stratosphere, YouTube's the way to go. Have you ever been approached to, like, sell your podcast to, like, a streaming site? I, I'm considering liquidating or at least licensing the connect to foreign distributors so they can translate it. 
And you think that's the right move? For the price, Ian? For the right price? <laughs> the sellout? It's always the right move. Okay? <laughs> okay. That's what, the, oh, that's what the guy who founded Kinko's said. Kinko's. Sold it to FedEx for like $2 billion. He goes, the minute I started my business, it was for sale. If you could do anything differently, starting this whole podcast and going down the path you traveled, what would you do, if anything? Hmm. Probably wouldn't have gotten caught and just kept all my money, and I'd be living in Colombia right now. What about post-prison? Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, so I don't get to go down fantasy lane? No, uh, not fantasy lane. Post-prison, I would have done this shit earlier. I would have done, well, God, I wouldn't have changed much, though. I would have changed much, but I would have, I would have not uh, worried so much about acceptance from the legacy show business uh, powers, right? The networks, the agents, bigger comics. Uh, I wouldn't have worried about that for so long. And I would have, you know, started creating content a little sooner. You know what I mean? Um, you know, if I could have started a podcast in 2013, I mean, who knows where I'd be. But I just, you know, I, I hadn't even started comedy then, and I, I wanted to be, get good at stand-up first. I didn't feel like I had earned becoming what I am now, which is like a YouTuber, influencer, podcast, or whatever, before having the foundation of being like a killer comedian. Because that, this, everything I do with this serves the comedy. So I, I felt like that would have been cheating a little bit. So, yeah, I probably just... But yeah, I, I would have just made content a little sooner. That's the only difference. What advice do you give to the person that's just getting out of jail and or prison or whatever? Maybe bad, just came over their addiction and wants to get into creating content. Oh, wants to get into creating content. Okay, well, I wouldn't start a prison show anymore. You think it's oversaturated? Yeah, I do. I do. And most people don't have the chops. So, but if you have, if you think you have the chops, then don't listen to me. What do you mean by the chops? Just it, it, this takes a lot. It doesn't just take a mouthpiece, right, or a pretty face. It takes, <laughs> it takes, being being able to be an orator. You have to be a businessman. You have to have a high tolerance for stress, sleeplessness, right? You have. I mean, it just takes a lot to keep. This is a media company, right? So I, um, but look, I don't want to dissuade anybody either. I didn't listen to anybody. I mean, everybody told me I couldn't do it. You know, so. You're the the more delusion you have to have a, a good bit of delusion, I think. You know, there are some prison YouTubers that or like the original ones that are able to get away with just doing a webcam video and they get hundreds of thousands of views. Do you think those days are over for like newcomers? Web what are they doing? Are they jacking off? No. What are they doing on webcam? <laughs> no, I'm saying like you look at like um, oh, I'd love to do that. Lockdown twenty three and one. Um you, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. individuals like that. Yeah, yeah. They're doing great stuff. They yeah. have great content, but it's not right. It's not in this setting like yours and mine. Right. It's very it, it's gorilla. Like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what do you, you mean. Do you think that's like I if I do that, mm -hmm. it's gonna get no views. Yeah, exactly. They have a certain yeah, niche. Yeah. Well, they also have a look. Okay. You know what I mean? Like they can take that seriously. <clears throat> We're doing things because this is us, right? We're just more clean cut kind of guys. So if you're doing okay, I'll say this. If you go down the path of content creation in the space of prison, crime, et cetera, know that it's it's usually a pop and then it's short-lived. You know what I mean? Like, this is what I would say. Clip this, if you will. The, the, the pop is fast and it's short-lived. So there better be a strategy on the other end for longevity. And that might include pivoting a little bit. You know what I mean? Just like I'm doing with the connect. And I'm trying to stay ahead of the game, Ian. Now what's your what's your plan look like for that? I'm telling you. You're I'm telling, telling you me. off mic. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm sinking some money into this place though. Okay. I can tell you that much. You like what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I like what you're doing. Thanks, John. I want to buy in. You want to buy in? I want to buy in. For you it's double. <laughs> Fuck. I know you got the Colombian buddy hidden dude. away. I <laughs> know. Not anymore, man. Yeah. Well, Johnny, thank you for coming back on the show, man. Um, Always a pleasure. Super buddy. excited to see where you go and what you got Thanks, going on. Man. Well, I'm excited for you, bro. You know, we're in it together, man. I had I was watching uh, I was watching like old SNL episodes the other day, and I Chevy Chase is on, and I'm like, this guy was truly like a, an icon. He was an American icon. I grew up watching Vacation, uh, you know, all the Vacation movies, right? Um, yeah, old reruns of SNL. This guy was a legend. 
and to see how far he's fallen being here in Danbury, Connecticut in a in a strip mall with very little ventilation, very little insulation. It's cold in here. I mean, it it was a it was a warning to me. And and it and it showed you where this business really takes you. I see okay. why you're in comedy. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it was it was one of, it made me want to kill myself. But congratulations. It's great for you. So you're telling me you would never give back to the little guy when you get that old and you were successful? Oh. Because so many famous people don't do that. Interesting. No, 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 no. I I would, I guess. If his only intention was to come up here to be a nice guy, that's I didn't pay him. Yeah, right. No, he's got a fucking street named after him in, in Beverly Hills, Chevy Hill, che, Chevy Chase Lane, a street named after him. I don't. I think he gets a bad rep a lot of the time, and I think that he wouldn't have came on the show if he didn't get to know me. I spent like a day at his house. Oh wow! And got to interact with out him. there. No, no, in Connecticut, in New York. Oh, so he lives out here. He has a house in New- L.A. And okay, a house in gotcha, New York, gotcha. And so I got I, to talk to him. <clears throat> so he just came up here because he liked you, and he and he wanted to hang out, and he knew it would it would be good for your show. I think yeah, he did it out of the kindness of his heart. He yeah. didn't have to do no, it. No, that's cool. No one that's put a gun cool. to his head, said, "Yo, Chevy," or I pay. I don't pay for gas. Uh, right. Which, speaking of which, I hit up like there's certain individuals like yeah. uh, who's that guy that was on Nelk Boys. Um, the guy with the orange hair kind of looks like you. Orange hair. Uh, orange Bob Menery. Okay. I said, hey, do you want to come on the pod, talk uh-huh. about your struggles with addiction? Yeah. He said, I don't do pods like yours for less than $5,000. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, How are you gonna say a lot that? of delusional people like that. I, I pay people sometimes if I think the interview is going to be right because the it's never nearly that much money. And it's like, yeah, it's just the... I'm like, yeah, it, business-wise, it makes sense. You don't think that gives up the integrity of it, though? Because that's, like, why, like, HBO Max didn't pay me to do my documentary because yeah. they don't pay for documentaries. Right, it, yeah. It gives up, like, the integrity of it a little bit. No, I think it's bullshit, and it, it, it's, like, if if somebody's doing it because <clears throat> they need to make a living, I'm usually empathetic to that, right? Like, if somebody's a dickhead, or, or I usually, I'll, I'll just say pass, but, you know, if I have a certain individual on who is a really nice guy who's going to introduce me to other people, hmm, which is happening, big things, like, yeah, 500 bucks, fuck it. All right, I'll take 500 You know, you know what I mean? 500, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, you know, 500 pesos. 500 pesos. like $2.50. I'll take $2. It's okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I told that you know we're pitching the Connect as a documentary to all these, you know HBO, and I tell them I'm like, you're delusional if you think these outlets don't pay. Like if National Geographic, some white woman is like with the Sinaloa cartel in like the Sea of Cortez, interviewing them as they smuggle guns, you think they're doing that for free? You're out of your fucking mind. <laughs> you think anything moves? In Mexico, without money, so here it shouldn't be. It should. It should be no different. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I'm learning more about the industry and how it operates mm. and whatnot. I just, I wouldn't personally mm. pay for a guest because there's so. I think what makes my show special is that I have the no name people come, right. come on the right. show, and that's my niche. Right. Yeah. That's and that's what's cool. And and <clears throat> we just didn't take that route. You know what I mean? So sometimes we have no name people. I'm having a no name guy come on, but usually they have something to plug. I like the people that come on. Because I, I also feel guilty. I want people to get something out of it, especially if they're coming out to L.A. Like I'll either a lot of or I've flown people out and put them up. I won't pay them. But you do that. Right. Or, yeah, bring something on like the guy that's coming on today, the CEO. He's got a book. I'm like, great. Let's you know, I, I really care about like the guest. I want them to benefit more than it benefits me. And that's a great thing about our channels is that we have a platform that allows people to do that. Whereas like you go on other individuals platforms with no following who are just starting out and no shade to them, but it's not mutually beneficial in in that sense. Exactly. So, and that's just the unfair part of life, man. Like how do you get a job when you don't have a, well, how do you get a job without experience? You know, I'm like, yeah, it's tough. You got to figure it out. You you book Johnny Mitchell to come on uh, locked Uh, in and then 500 bucks, dude, (laughs) I'll be there. 
Thank you, Johnny. Hell yeah, dude. I appreciate Follow you, me. Bro. Can I can I plug? Of course, Sorry. we'll put you in the description too. <clears throat> JohnnyMitchell.biz for all my dates. You guys come out to the shows. I'm a great fucking comedian. Like I may not ever get famous, but I'm really fucking funny. So come out. I'm just killing less. I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm throw watch the clips. And I will also input that I watch all your comedy clips yeah. and they are funny as fuck thanks man and there was no better one than the one you getting tackled oh yeah yeah I got, <laughs> you got that was my first viral clip yes on it's TikTok. still it still has 19 on youtube 19 million views Dude, tiktok has taken it down like four times i know and, and i'll just put it back up and it'll get another it'll go viral instantly it does not matter it you was not perfect 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 <laughs> you should literally be selling out arenas <laughs> after that one